I'm Alejandro Soto. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, March 27th, 2018. Coming up, we speak with Boulder psychiatrist Will Vanderveer about the FDA-approved studies involving the use of psychotherapy along with the drug MDMA for treatment of PTSD. In the years ahead, doctors across the U.S. might be prescribing a currently illegal drug as therapy for the hard-to-treat condition known as post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. The new medicine would be MDMA, an ingredient in the party drug ecstasy. Last year, a growing body of scientific evidence led the FDA to grant therapeutic protocols that include MDMA Phase three clinical trials. Phase 3 is the final phase of trials before possible FDA approval. There's a lot that's novel about the idea of MDMA for PTSD. For one thing, this involves a drug that's currently federally illegal. For another, the trials are funded not by the federal government, but by the pharmaceutical co- not by the pharmaceutical companies, uh, but by uh, but by the pharmaceutical companies. The lead funder is the multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, also known as MAPS. MAPS is a nonprofit focused on beneficial medical uses of psychedelics and marijuana. Another novel aspect of using MDMA to treat PTSD is that, for most of the people in the studies, it seems to work. FDA-approved Phase two clinical trials are what led to this new round of Phase three trials for MDMA. One of the Phase two trial centers was here in Boulder, where roughly two dozen people went through the typically three-month-long protocol. The principal investigator for the Boulder studies is psychotherapist Marcella Odolora. On Odolora's team was Boulder psychiatrist Will Vanderveer. How on Earth's Shelley Schlender spoke with the psychiatrist Will Vanderveer. Vanderveer begins by talking about how hard it is to treat PTSD today and why he got interested in the MDMA studies. I've been practicing psychiatry for 15 years and working with medications and psychotherapy. It's been frustrating to try to treat chronic treatment-resistant PTSD. I was very skeptical when I heard about MDMA as a treatment for PTSD. And then I read the paper that was published in 2011, and Michael Mithoffer and his colleagues, uh, 83% cure rate, basically, for PTSD. So that got my attention. The main thing is how hopeful this therapy really is. This could be a, a real game-changer in the treatment of PTSD. To be able to find a way to heal PTSD in short order is something that I think everyone would like to see. The current treatments available for PTSD are not very effective. We really need better treatments and uh, this could be one of them. From my perspective, mental illness in general often has roots in trauma. We may call something depression or we may call something panic disorder or even obsessive compulsive disorder. In many of those cases I've found in my practice respond to treatments for PTSD. What are the standard treatments for PTSD? The FDA has two approved medications for PTSD and unfortunately only about a third of people respond um, to respond well to the medications approved. What are they? Paxil and Zoloft. What do they do? These are uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs. 
What do most people call them? Antidepressants. Yeah. Is the standard therapy antidepressant and counseling, or is it just take this and come back in a month? Unfortunately, not enough people are getting psychotherapy, which is the key element in recovery from PTSD. Um, I've found that medications can often be helpful to some degree in terms of modifying symptoms, but they never treat the underlying problem involved with PTSD. But what does insurance pay for? It's difficult to get insurance to pay for some or any sessions of psychotherapy. It varies a lot from one insurance policy to another, how many sessions are covered. Do some people get help just by getting the medications, the antidepressants? I think the medications definitely help people to function. They work as sort of mild anesthesia agents. They, they uh, decrease the amount of flooding that people have with their emotions. And they can, in some cases, help people feel more emotions. But generally speaking, the medications are not the answer to the problem. And there are an awful lot of people who uh, attempt to do psychotherapy but are flooded by the experience of psychotherapy if they have PTSD. So psychotherapy isn't easy to do, even if you can get it uh, covered. You just said that people are flooded when they do psychotherapy. Flooded with what? Flooded with intense emotions, intense memories, panic, anxiety. But as a psychotherapist, you're supposed to help people work through that. Why is that hard? Well, it's difficult to uh, touch uh, a sensitive memory without getting flooded. So the art of psychotherapy is to help someone uh, with that process. Somebody is overwhelmed by their emotions. Even if they're with a good psychotherapist, can it make them even more scared? Can it make sure. it so that... I mean, what we try to do is we try to help people with all different aspects of recovery from PTSD including mindfulness meditation, which can be very helpful in supporting people to tolerate their emotions more successfully. Um, eating the right diet can be important as well. Getting enough exercise, getting enough sunlight and good quality sleep. But you're mentioning that there's something about PTSD where it can be so overwhelming that people come close to this monster of their memories and they touch it and they get so overwhelmed they lose trust in the psychotherapy process too. They, they, they step back from it and in a way they're more traumatized. That can happen. And in our um, MDMA psychotherapy trial for PTSD, we certainly uh, had participants who had had that experience before. Okay, so the standard treatment has been antidepressants and sometimes if somebody gets counseling or something, that can help them too. Right. What's special about MDMA? Most people think of it as ecstasy, the party drug. Well, first of all, ecstasy and MDMA are not the same thing. Ecstasy is a street drug that, if you take it, probably has a lot of other things in it other than MDMA. Uh, back in the 80s, uh, there probably were ecstasy tablets that had mostly MDMA in them, but that's not the case anymore. So what we're using is pure MDMA. You mean don't try this at home? <laughs> Correct. Please don't try this at home. <laughs> you need a skilled guide to do this work. I don't think that taking MDMA without psychotherapy would be very helpful in terms of working with PTSD. And it wouldn't be helpful to take the street drug either. No. I mean, you wouldn't be able to get the pure MDMA anyway, but the street drug might actually be even more damaging. Well, why not use something else that helps people feel good? Why not use Jack Daniels? <laughs> <laughs>
Well, if that's the only tool you have, maybe <laughs> maybe it's better than nothing. <laughs> is, is there something special about the chemistry of MDMA that's better than many of the other substances people use to soothe themselves if they're looking for substances? Yes. When I said, you know, Jack Daniels is better than nothing, I'm being facetious, of course. There are specific chemical dimensions of MDMA that are very helpful. It seems to be the perfect support for psychotherapy to heal PTSD because it downregulates the fear center in the brain and it increases the person's capacity to trust another person. So this is a great setup for doing successful therapy for PTSD. Does it help somebody face their monsters without running away from them? Exactly. Let's describe an MDMA session then. Where do these take place? You're one of you're one of some centers that have been doing this with FDA approval. That's correct. How did you recruit people to do this? We had uh, internet advertisements and word of mouth, and as you can imagine with so many people suffering with refractory PTSD, uh, there was no shortage of people interested in participating. How did you qualify who should do this and who should not? Well, we had very specific inclusion and exclusion criteria. People were allowed to be in the study if they had a past history of substance abuse, provided that they had been sober for a certain amount of time. Did you make sure that they had a medical record that showed that nothing else had worked? Yes. So that was a big part of it, was making sure that people had had enough psychotherapy and enough medication trials to prove that they could be considered as a treatment-resistant um, case of PTSD. By the way, how many people, what percentage in your experience of PTSD sufferers are treatment-resistant? for the normal treatments? Well, I have to admit I'm biased because I see almost exclusively treatment-resistant PTSD in my practice. I think that the people who get well um, easily uh, never show up in my office. There's no statistics on this then, are there? We know that a certain percentage of people do respond to medications for PTSD. And that ranges from 30% up to 50% in some studies. The problem is with medication response, you will have more symptoms when you stop the medication. The medication's not actually changing anything fundamental about the PTSD. You just told me two things, Bill Vanderveer. One is that only about 50% of people with PTSD who seek help seem to respond well to standard treatments. Correct. And among those people who do respond well, it means that they must be dependent on a prescription drug the rest of their lives, plus some counseling maybe, but definitely they need, they'll be taking that prescription drug. Well, that's the current uh, standard of treatment for PTSD, and you know we're not satisfied that that is getting the job done. Why not have people take antidepressants their whole life? Well, there are, um, first of all, a lot of side effects to antidepressants. Uh, for example, sexual functioning can be very impaired on uh, these drugs for PTSD. That's one problem. There can also be more treatment-emergent negative effects, like diabetes, uh, for example, has been described as a side effect of SSRIs. So you're better off if you don't take them, if you can find a way not to take them? Well, if you need to take them, you need to take them. And if they work for you, I have no argument with that. But we're hoping that we can find a better way uh, that will help more people. Getting back to the MDMA and the study that you've been doing, on the street it's called the ecstasy study. What do people call it when they come in? People tend to refer to it as MDMA when they ask me about it. 
And that goes not just for my scientific colleagues, but also the patients who come in wondering about it. The FDA classes MDMA as a felony class drug. Right. But in this case, they're letting you use it. Well, it took some work to get approval to uh, work with this substance. We've made a lot of progress in the last 15 years. What do people do when they come to you for this? Are you the key person who they see throughout this trial, or are you one of many professionals who assist with this? I'm one of many professionals. I was the study physician and one of the psychotherapists on our previous trial. For the upcoming trial, I'll just be uh, one of the psychotherapists. Our principal investigator is Marcella Otolora, who I think you're going to interview as well. She's the principal investigator and the head psychotherapist. So someone comes to you, they tell you what their life history story is and say, I really want to try this. And you say, okay, you're in the study. What happens next? Well, there's a screening process that involves more than just that. Uh, we also have to draw blood work to make sure that uh, everything looks safe. If the person has high blood pressure, uh, that can be a big problem. So we want to make sure that we take care of that. They need an EKG to make sure that their heart is in a normal rhythm. They need to pass a physical exam. There are several steps in the screening process. Do some people come in just because they want an excuse to take what's known as a party drug? We haven't had that problem. <laughs> it's an awful lot of red tape to go through to get to have MDMA. <laughs> Okay, so getting back to this very serious topic, actually. Who administers the drug? So I was the one administering the, the drug in our previous trial as the study physician. Is it like antidepressants? Do you give somebody a prescription and take one every day? No, this is different. In our study, we administer the dose of MDMA once, and then another month passes, and then we administer it again, and then another month passes, and one more time. So on three occasions only. Three months and how many times? Three occasions in three months. This is definitely not a party drug. <laughs> and it's definitely not an antidepressant. What do you use the MDMA for then? We're using the MDMA as a facilitator for psychotherapy, for the deepest possible healing that we can achieve for the trauma. It allows people to face and feel and restructure their memories to understand that what they went through was something that it becomes a sacred memory. It becomes uh, something that you understand that needed to happen to you for mysterious reasons sometimes. There are ways that people move into even gratitude for their experience, if you can imagine that. The qualities that emerge in a person after enduring trauma and coming out on the other side is called post-traumatic growth. And we see that often in our study. I can't imagine somebody saying about rape or being in a war, or being beaten as a child, that this is a gift. I mean, that sounds mm -hmm. a little bit cliche. Is there something about wisdom that I'm missing? There's something about shifting adversity into benefit for others that is a recurrent theme in our participants. The people who have been involved in our work are very aware that what they're doing is contributing to not just to science, but potentially to relieving suffering on a global level in the future. So there's a sense of power in the personal healing, but an even greater sense of purpose in supporting the work that's happening here. MDMA is known as a chemical that helps people feel happy, safe, warm, trusting. Is that how people are for the whole three months of this treatment? 
where they're talking with the psychotherapists? No, the effects of the MDMA last for about six to eight hours. For the remainder of the participation in the trial, outside of the MDMA experience, uh, they don't feel that way at all. Uh, there's a lot of work to do. There's all kinds of restructuring that people need to apply to their lives. You're saying restructuring. What does that feel like? What is somebody showing you? Are there tears? Are there angry times where somebody pounds a table? Sure. There are all kinds of emotions that come up when you start to see that there's a different way that you can be living in the future and the self-protections that you've had to put in place to deal with your trauma and how limiting that's been. There's a tremendous amount of grief involved in understanding the losses that you've already uh, endured. But there's also a lot of joy in seeing the possibility of transcending and moving forward. How many hours of psychotherapy is it during the three months? So we have a total of 33 visits. Only three MDMA sessions of eight hours each. The other sessions are an hour and a half each. It's a lot of psychotherapy. How long is a typical psychotherapy session? Typically an hour and a half. There are 33 visits altogether in the study. Three of them are eight-hour MDMA sessions. Twelve of them are hour and a half preparation and integration sessions. And then the remainder of the visits are things like physical exams, medical screenings. You say that psychotherapy normally is not paid for by insurance for somebody going through post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, at the VA, the veterans can get psychotherapy for PTSD, for sure. There are certain psychotherapies at the VA that have been proven uh, to be somewhat effective. For people who respond well to that, that's fantastic for them. But once again, the psychotherapies, like I was describing the medication limitations, also have a lot of dropouts. For example, cognitive behavioral therapy for PTSD has about a 50% dropout rate. A lot of people aren't making it to the end. Cognitive behavior therapy, is that talking? Yes, so that's talk therapy. Prolonged exposure is another popular therapy at the VA for post-traumatic stress disorder. Not so popular in the veterans, but popular at the VA and for the administrators. The trouble with flooding that I mentioned before is particularly difficult with prolonged exposure because the whole orientation of the therapy is to keep bringing the person back to the uh, worst part of the trauma over and over again. So you can imagine that that isn't well tolerated by a lot of people who are already prone to flooding. What's the difference in the psychotherapeutic setting with this MDA drug? Is it having to do with trust? I think that the MDMA certainly does help people to trust more. It also helps them to trust themselves more and to honor the choices that they've made in the past, even if they felt like they were mistakes. Three months of psychotherapy and MDMA is your protocol. If you get approved by the FDA, you would train clinicians to follow this protocol and this would become a prescription drug? The first step is our phase three trial. And a lot of therapies that are evaluated by the FDA don't pass phase three. So we certainly have to make sure that this is a safe and effective treatment in a phase three setting before we can even talk about what's next. How much therapy do people need after the first three months? Well, in our study that we completed previously in the phase two trial, we didn't have any visits after the two-month follow-up until the 12-month follow-up. So essentially, people were doing their own thing during those 10 months. And we oftentimes found that people actually improved uh, at the 12-month follow-up over how they were doing at the two-month follow-up. 
which was interesting. Some people continued in therapy, other people didn't. Some people continued on psychiatric medication, other people didn't. It was a wide variety of different things people did during those 10 months. But in the end, there was a sense that 80% of them had improved to the point that they weren't needing any medication or just improved compared to where they were before. We saw similar results to the paper that I mentioned before from 2011 in the pooled phase two data that MAPS took to FDA in November of 16. Roughly two-thirds of people didn't meet criteria for PTSD anymore at the 12-month follow-up. Is the criteria for PTSD that you don't need medications and you're not having this numbing and flooding effect, or is it you don't have the numbing and flooding even though you may take medications? The criteria doesn't include whether you're taking medications or not. So if people choose to do that and they're evaluated and their symptoms are low enough, then they don't meet the criteria for PTSD. Shamans. Okay. And the old way that drugs and psychedelics used to be used. There was a man I met once who was a historical religious anthropologist archaeologist. Okay. He was very intrigued going to different parts of the world and seeing temples. Mm-hmm. From Greece to India, anywhere he looked where there was a temple, there was usually something like a psychedelic mushroom or an opioid kind of look to it or fermented weed or something mm. that seemed to be part of some of the rituals that those communities had. Mm-hmm. Does this remind you of that? I think that MDMA does produce an altered state of consciousness. There's no question about that. And using trance to heal people is a very, very old tradition. Asclepius in Greece, for example, whose students included Hippocrates and Galen, two of the you know kind of founding fathers of Western medicine, was a trance guy. That's what he believed healed. Not really meditation, something more extreme than that. It's something deeper in, in terms of relaxation than meditation. And there's a way that a person can encounter their shadow under a trance that's much easier than when we're in our waking state. In those societies, it was not something people did at parties. Right. It was done with a purpose and a ritual. And it was not considered something someone should do without a lot of support from the community. Right. Because it's a little dangerous. Right. Seemed the same way? (laughs) Well, it's an interesting parallel. There are a lot of similarities here. Have you had some bad experiences for people going through this study? No treatment is for everyone, right? We did have people who dropped out and we even had people who didn't feel that they were helped or even felt like they were uh, worse off from having participated. Most people uh, had very positive experiences. And it's the case whether somebody's on an antidepressant or psychotherapy, that also happens with those treatments? Absolutely. What do you think about the fact that this was not funded by a drug company? It was not funded by the National Institutes of Health directly. Instead, it was funded by people privately. Private donors said, let's do this study. And that's unusual. It is unusual, that's for sure. I think this is the first drug that's been evaluated by FDA that's ever been brought by a nonprofit. There may be one other one. I think there was one other drug for cancer that was brought by a nonprofit uh, organization. Highly unusual. Highly unusual, yes. Yeah. 
Which part of all of this got you interested? Did you contact MAPS or did they contact you? They contacted me. I had a physician friend who asked me if I'd be willing to talk to Marcella, our principal investigator, uh, that they needed a psychiatrist for the study. I was very skeptical, having learned everything I was taught about MDMA in medical school, all the scary things that I'd heard about it. But the research was compelling, and so I jumped in, and as soon as I started witnessing the changes in the office with people in person, I was very impressed. That's Boulder psychiatrist Will Vanderveer talking with How on Earth's Shelley Schlender about the FDA-approved studies involving the use of the drug MDMA along with psychotherapy to treat PTSD. On our website, howonearthradio.org, we will include not only this interview, but also links to extended interviews with psychotherapist Marcella Odolora, who is the principal investigator for the Boulder Study Branch. We will also have a link to an in-depth interview with Karen, a participant in the MDMA studies who originally had treatment-resistant PTSD, but now says she's cured. Finally, we, have, we will have links to the study's funder, maps.org, plus links for how to participate in a study. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Susan Moran. This week's show was produced by me, Alejandro Soto, and engineered by Chip Granditz. Additional contributions by Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Alejandro Soto.